So last night I'm, I'm sitting and I'm just kind of unwinding and watching a little bit of SportsCenter. And I look down and it's 11.50 something and I'm like, oh, that's close. So I take a screenshot of my phone and I'm like, 11.59, cool. And I took a screenshot, 12 o'clock, Sunday, January 1. And I just went back and forth. I was like, hmm, December 31st, January 1. I don't really feel very different. 159, huh? Hmm. <laughs> no, it's still nothing. I, it, it's weird. Uh, 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 the, just 11:59, 12 o'clock, December 31, January 1. Like there were things you could have started five days ago, but you waited till today, right? Like. You're going, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to do more running, but I'm going to wait seven days because it does not say January 1 on my calendar yet. You know, I mean, like, we could start new anytime, right? We really can, but we love the idea of January 1st because for those of you who are very organized, like, it fits in the calendar and your calendar looks very pretty and it's clean and it's organized and you can put everything into place and you're like, I'm going to start new and Three days from now, you're like, I still haven't started. I'm going to start new. Um, but that's the goal. 2017, um, maybe you say goodbye to old things, uh, letting go of past regrets, new hopes, new dreams, new wants, new habits, all of those things. But I want you to know that all of these news really are what God invites us to every minute. Like, that's the beauty of the gospel, is that it's an invitation to new, not just once a year, not just once a month, not just once a week. Because, I mean, there are times on Sundays, Sundays are a, 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 essentially a time for new. Like, we come in with our hard weeks, we come in with the stuff that we forgot, we come in with our focuses on the things of this world, we come in with all of these emotions, and then we go, oh, right, Jesus, forgot. But the beauty of the gospel is, 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 is found in Philippians chapter 3, and I love Paul's words. He says this, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. He's always calling us to new. He's always calling us to growth. He's always calling us to fix our eyes on him. That call will never change. And it's once you answer that call, you're like, whoa, this is new. And he's like, yeah, I know. I told you. New. New life, new kingdom, new everything. But today, since we are essentially all focusing on new. We are a culture that's focusing on new. Maybe you're focusing on new. Maybe you're like, well, I'm ready for some new. Well, that's what we're, that's what we're talking about today. As we approach 2017, I do want to unapologetically invite you to consider these areas of growth because I see them in the scripture. I'm praying that they'll develop in my life, as Miss Sue was saying, that we will grow in these things, in our loving, in our leading, in our giving, in our praying. All of these things, and I know when you hear that, you're like, whoa, I know me. I can't do that. I have tried and I have failed. I can't do those things. And when you think about yourself, you get overwhelmed. I'm supposed to grow in all these areas? This is, this is incredible. I don't know. I can't do this. I'm done. I'm out. It's January 4th. Over. 
I tried reading the Bible, I got to, to Genesis chapter 4, and I'm done. You know, it's one of those things to where we know our limitations, which is why I think it's important we know where this stuff comes from, because if Jesus commands it, and which he did, then he's going to provide us with the how. How do these things happen? And so um, as I was praying about this and preparing this, this was one of those moments where Back to the Future came into my brain. Um, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And you know that scene where, all right, so uh, George McFly's in the diner and Biff walks in and he's like, oh, McFly, thought I told you never to come back in here again. And it's that whole exchange and Marty's in there and he's sitting at the table and he trips uh, Biff and then Biff stands up and he stands up and he punches him. And then the race happens where he runs out of the diner. Do you remember these, you remember these parts? You're tracking. Some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. And that's okay. It's all right. You don't have to. Uh, but I thought I'd give you some images to follow as we tell the story. So uh, Marty, he runs out and he grabs these kids who are using scooters who have never seen a skateboard before, right? And he grabs the skateboard and the kids are like, whoa, that's amazing that he's doing all of this stuff. And so he ends up and the bullies come running out chasing him and he jumps on the skateboard and he's riding around the town. He even does those moments where he like waves at the people in the diner and he's running from the bad guys. It's all this cool, calm and collected moments. Uh, and then you think, because the bad guys jump in their car and they start chasing him and you think they're going to get him. And, he, and Marty He's like freaked out, and, but he finds a way to jump through the car, runs out, jumps off the car onto the skateboard, and the bad guys end up hitting the back of a dump truck, and that dump truck is not full of dirt. It's full of manure, right? You remember that? You, remember that? you guys remember these scenes? Okay, good. I just want to make sure. But there's this moment when he doesn't know it, but his mom, this is where it gets weird in the story, she's like, man, they, they ask the question, who is this guy? Where did he come from? And the camera begins to ban in, right? Remember this? It's kind of that creepy scene. And she's like, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. <laughs> and you remember that? Like, I mean, I hope you do, because if you don't, then you're just like, I have no idea what we're talking about. I hope that if Jesus' commands anything that you hear today, the command to love is one that causes me to scratch my head. If you're one who's like, I get this, you know, Jesus, and you guys are talking about God, but his commands to love, you will hear in just a moment, sound impossible. And to be honest, they, they really are. The way that he has asked us to love, apart from him, is impossible. And if it causes you to scratch your head, if it causes you to to question and to ask, I hope you'll do the heavy lifting and you will dig. And you will ask, where does this come from? Maybe you're one who's in this room. Maybe you're not um, questioning or wondering or thinking, how is this possible? But you've actually tried to love as Jesus commanded you and you got burned. You're actually in the process of picking yourself up off the ground and you're like, I've tried this. And I'm not doing it again. You know, maybe it's for some people, but I have tried to love like Jesus loved, and I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to ask you in the very same way to dig. Because if what Jesus has commanded us to do is a command, then he will give us what we need to obey it. And this is where we look at love, not defined by what we want it to be defined as, but what Jesus 
actually defines it as. And, and there, is, there is a reason for us to dig into understanding what God's love looks like and what we're to love, how we're to love in response to how God has loved us. There is a big, um, I guess if you would, there's a, this evidence room for the world and the evidence of our life that goes on the shelf in their evidence room is the way we love. And in First John, um, John's letter, and I would encourage you, if you ever get the chance to really dive into First John or even memorize the book of First John, it's not very long, you could do it. And if you're one who struggles with, man, how, do I know him? Am I a believer? How do I know? This book is written to assure believers. And yeah, it'll cause those of you in this room who may be playing the game to go, oh no. But for those of you who are hearing the voice of Christ, following in his footsteps, you read this and you go, wow, this is incredibly reassuring. See, John's words are focusing on our belief, our results that come out of a life that believes that God loves us. And it also talks about our affections, what we love the most. And you can tell a lot about a person by asking what they believe, watching how they live, and what they love. And so as he delves into this in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 15, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. John understood Jesus' take on love. I mean, John was one who titled, gave himself the name in his gospel, the one whom Jesus loved. He understood his identity as someone who was loved by Jesus. It's not an arrogant title. I think some of us are like, that's so weird of him to say that. No, if he had said, the one whom loves Jesus, that would have been arrogant. But there's no truer statement about Jesus for John. The one whom Jesus loved. Can you say that? I mean, it'd be like, Jason, the one whom Jesus loved. I don't know, there's some things I've done. There's some stuff I've said. There's some attitudes I've had to put in check. I don't know if he can... These kinds of statements, these kind of battles that we go into in our brain and our heart are really gone to war against in understanding God's love for us and our response to his love. Jesus made it really clear. He was asked what was the most important commandment and he could have said anything. Think about it. He could have said anything. And these are his words in Mark chapter 12. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. A singular love for God, there is to be no other love like our love for God. A singular love for God, a love for neighbor, and we see that our love for our neighbor is connected with how we view ourselves. You know, I think there's some of us in this room, we have this excuse that we're not good at loving people. And it might be because we hate ourselves. Our inability to love other people may be directly connected to our unbelief that God can actually love us as much as the scriptures suggest. So when you and I are like, well, I'm just not good at loving people, you might need to go, God, how have you loved me? Because Jesus did say, loving your neighbor as yourself, right? He didn't just say, just love your neighbor. He said, as yourself. There's an understanding that God has loved me in a way that no longer do I look to the world to define my worth or my value or my identity, but I look truly to the way God has promised and followed through with his promise to provide a way home for a rebel like me. It is a love for God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength that combats self-hatred. You may be at a place where you're not able to love other people because you honestly have this view of yourself that you're a failure, that you haven't accomplished what you need to by this time, where you're at. The world suggests there's a bunch of things you should have done by now and you don't have any of that in place. You've made mistakes, you have regrets, you're looking back on the past and you're going, I am awful and I cannot even muster up the strength to love somebody else. There is not enough self-motivation mere staring, psyching yourself up that can cause you to truly, truly love your neighbor as yourself. The way we go to war against self-hatred isn't self-help books, but it's loving God. Because when we love God, we begin to love His Word, and when we love His Word, we begin to believe His words, and when we see His words, we understand that there is a God who loves us, who continues to pursue, who continues to chase, who continues to run after us, even in our fist-pounding and our throwing up insults to His face and our turning our backs on Him, His love for us becomes who we are. Identity is found in His love for us. And so one of, the, one of the largest prayers that I pray for my kids on a daily basis is that my kids will believe that they are loved by God as much as he says he loves them. But I need to know that too. I mean, I'm going to tell you this. I'm absolutely convinced that almost every sinful action that I run to, if not every sinful action that I run to, is rooted in my unbelief that God can actually love me as much as the scriptures suggest they do. This whole love your neighbor as yourself is a whole sentence spoken by Jesus. I think sometimes we're like, we just hear love your neighbor. But some of you just have to start running 
from your unbelief. It's not, it's not, it's not humble to have a, I'm a terrible person, I, I suck at life, I'm awful. That's not humble, that's, that's pride. You know that? It's not humility to walk around and say, I'm a terrible person, I stink at life. It's unbelief. It's just saying, God, I don't believe that I am who you say I am. So if we can flip it, and we can understand, and as the more we look at God through his word, we begin to believe his promises, we begin to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is rescuer, that he is faithful, and he is able, and he is all of these things, we begin to go, God, I don't want the identity that this world has thrown on me. I want that love to identify me. And you know a result of that? It's being able to love others. A singular love for God, a love for our neighbor, that is reflective of the love that we have for ourselves. This isn't some new age, twisted, self-motivational thing. This is just believing biblical promises. It's believing the scripture that we are who he says we are, and that is his children. John 14, 6, we know how much God loves us, and we put our trust in his love. But God's love for us is also made very clear and a love that we are to have for a very special group of people. Luke chapter 6. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners lend to the other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without, acting at, without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Our country just went through what I have lived through to be the worst campaigning season ever. I haven't lived through that many campaigns, guys. I know there are some of you that have, have lived through, you know, a presidential election campaigns. But this one, man, I don't know if it was social media that helped ramp things up and, or just public opinion on display. I don't know what it was, but it was awful. Like, it was really bad. Like, it was awful. Like... Really? Like, like I can't even. Like, it was rough. <laughs> and we were a part of that. Like, that's the problem. Like, we were. Us. And this is where things get tricky. Because... I think you might be able to suggest and say, Jason, I get your love for this, but let me tell you about that person's post. <sighs> if everyone could just think, see, act, and believe like me, this country would be fixed. <laughs> I'm just summarizing everything that was on Facebook. That's really what it was said. 
I'm just summarizing. But Jason, you don't get it. Their opinion about things stinks. Their attitude is awful. The stuff that they said about those people who voted for that person. You guys, actually, we will look at people differently because of what someone puts on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. We will actually walk on eggshells because of the way someone posts. This is how weird we are. And I know, I know, I know, I know that when Jesus is speaking of enemies here, there's a lot more to it. But we live in a country where society has suggested that a differing opinion equals enemy. So we have to deal with it from this context. We have to be able to address this because walking around differently around somebody because they posted something on Facebook is just strange. And whether, whether or not it's, a, it's, a, it's from behind a keyboard that you feel like the world is against you, Jesus gave some qualifiers to the way we are to love people. Regardless of how real the enemy is, Jesus said, do good to those who oppose you, bless them, pray for them, do to others what you would have them do to you. Do you like being respected and being listened to? According to Jesus' words, you better give respect and listen to other people. Do you like being encouraged? Nobody ever encourages me. Do you like being encouraged? I'm just asking you a question. Then you better be encouraging. This is the kind of love that is revolutionary and impossible on our own. Unfortunately, we don't have a Pharisee piping up here going, but Jesus, really, who is my enemy? Because he did it with, you know, his neighbor. But we do have qualifiers. So whether your enemy is on the other side of a keyboard or your enemy is very present in your face, love those who can't love you back. Love those who won't love you back. Jesus gets very specific. Verse 35, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you truly will be acting as children of the Most High for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Folks, in this passage, the enemy is not the focus. God's love for rebellious people is the focus. You see, we can put our eyes on, oh, the enemy, the enemy. No, 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 no. God is the one who's doing everything in this. He's the one who is coming after ungrateful and wicked people. He is the compassionate father to you and I, even in our fist bumping and waving, in our curses to him, to his face. This is how we love our enemy. Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China uh, for over 50 years in the, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, fascinating brain, brilliant. Just encourage you to read anything about him if you can. But he would often be responsible for interviewing potential missionaries 
And he would ask them questions. And, and one of the questions that he would ask them was, why do you aspire to be a missionary? Why do you want to do this? And he would be often met by, well, Jesus commanded us to go. And he would be met by, well, there's people living in the world who've never heard of Jesus. And, and Hudson Taylor's response often surprised them. He said, I don't think your answer will sustain you in the face of your own death. He said, I don't think your answer will sustain you in the trials and tribulations that you will face in trying to bring the gospel to a people who need it but don't want it. And he would run to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and he would say these words, If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God, and if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means... You want to know where this comes from? This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The only power to love as Jesus has commanded us to love is to be made new. Friends, if Jesus is just this side piece that you have... And he's this thing that you turn to because it's kind of cool to say you're a Christ follower or if he's just this religious icon or it's a good idea to have religion a part of your life. You will not love as Jesus commanded. But if the old is gone and the new has come, he will make possible what he commands us to do. And that is to love God, love neighbor as self, love enemy, and then to top it all off, Jesus reminds us to love as he has loved. See, if you want to make excuses for your love, you can do it all day until you quote Jesus, love as I have loved you. That kind of destroys every other kind of love we might think is a good idea and puts some teeth to it and goes, but wait a minute, Jesus, you loved people who hated you. You said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing when they spat at you, mocked you, made fun of you. I don't know if I can do that. You can't. But where the new has come, it's possible. First John 4.16, and we have put our trust in his love. Paul to the Romans said in Romans 5, For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. This love that fills our hearts, A, reminds us that we are loved by God. I already told you, I believe most, if not every sinful action we run to is a result, a direct result of not believing that God loves us as the scriptures declare. But second, second, 
This love that fills our heart makes it possible to love as Jesus has loved us. My trust is in His love, that He is faithful to keep His promises, His desire to save us, His ability to save us, His follow-through to save us. I'm not trusting in my ability even to love God. I'm trusting in God's ability to love me. Because if you woke up this morning going, man, I want to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, I'm going to do it perfectly. No, you're not. (laughs) You already stopped doing it. That's why we need Him. That's why he changes everything. This Holy Spirit in us gives us the ability to do what Jesus has said. In John 13, Jesus said it. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In John 15, he repeats it. And anytime you see Jesus repeating things, you want to pay attention. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. As we close this morning, the world loves to post things about love on Facebook. We do. All you need is love. You don't sing that when someone's punching you in the face. You sing it from the warmth of your own home behind the keyboard. What the world needs now is love. You don't sing that when somebody's just stole everything from you. See, we like to post about, hey, everybody, let's get busy loving from behind a keyboard. That's our generation's new way of making it seem like we're really loving. But the beauty of the gospel is it moves from behind that keyboard into real life. And starts to make its way to people who can't love us back and won't love us back. Because that is who Jesus loved. He loved a people who were rebellious, angry, and wishy-washy, and finicky, and insulting, and not just rejecting of him, but to his own face said, I think this is better than you. And he still came. You know, there's a Jewish legend um, that I was reading about, and it, it actually involved creation, and it was right when creation was about to happen. The angels caught wind of what God was about to do in creating man, and uh, the angel of truth came to God and said, Don't create man. They are going to lie to each other, and they are going to lie to your face. Don't create them. The angel of justice came before God and said, Don't create man. They are going to abuse one another. They are going to go against every law that you might suggest and command them to do. They're going to do their own thing. Don't create them. The angel of holiness comes to God and says, 
don't create man. Like, these people are going to come up with new ways to be wicked. These people are going to do the things that you have commanded them not to do, specifically because of the impurity that they want to run after. Don't create man. And the angel of mercy comes to God. Just create them. Because every time they wander from your truth, your justice, your holiness, I will go to them. I will tell them who you are. I will take them by the hand and tenderly lead them back to you. You see, there's a, a sad indictment to our, I guess, our culture and the way we use the term love and the word love. And there's four different words for love in the New Testament, in Greek. And one of those words is eros, and that is this attractive, sexual, um, in-the-moment type of love that basically says, when I'm done being attracted to you, I'm done with loving you this way. Now, eros love is not in and of itself evil because in a marriage between a, married, a man and a married woman, this type of love... It helps keep them united. It helps keep them together. It helps keep the, the human condition continuing. Like, human beings still come from this. But if you build a marriage on Eros love, it will fail. This hot-burning, fast-paced love cannot maintain. That's why we see so many marriages failing after two and three years. Because, oh man, I was attracted to you. Now I'm not. See, the love we're speaking of is agape. And agape love is built on self-sacrifice, no matter the cost. But even more importantly, it is built on a choice to love. See, if God's coming after us was built on our ability to make ourselves desirable before God, God, look at us, we're so savable. <laughs> he never would have come. But because God made a choice to send his son, for rebels, you and I now know the type of love we are to express to the world. First John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. If you and I think that in some way we deserve God's love, you will put stipulations on why you should not have to love someone else. But when you understand the undeserved was shown something greater, grander in the mercy and love of God. You won't be able to put those stipulations. You won't be able to go, well, that person wronged me. That person said something. Oh, wait, that's me. I've done the same things. And yet God still loved me. So this year, Jesus commanded, love God, Love neighbor as self, love enemy, 
Love as I have loved you. Totally impossible if you walk out of here going, I'm going to do this. <laughs> but when you see what Christ has done, this grows. This is a result. So this morning, we'll have some folks standing over here, uh, and I'll be standing on the side. And if you're at a place where you're like, I would love for you to pray for me as I start 2017. There's just so many giants in my way. There's just so many thoughts that I'm having. I can't, I can't, I can't. I need you to pray for me. We'd love to make ourselves available for that this morning. Um, but it's his love for us that enables this love that Jesus commands from us. Lord, we love you. And I just ask that in these few moments that somehow your Holy Spirit would make very clear to us that you loved us first. If that's all we walk away with, that you loved us first, may that shock and break any false foundations that we've built with our own lives. In your name we pray.